We're continuing our Sermon on the Mount series. My text today is Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 11. Just a few verses. But in order for us to, to look at this passage and understand what it says, what Jesus is teaching, rather than what we need from outside in our own pers- personal circumstances and try to take what we want or what we'd like to like it to say, the context is really the key. Unless context is thoroughly observed, we could twist the meaning of Jesus' teaching. And the Sermon on the Mount, in seemingly it's very popular not only for Christians and believers, it is also popular for regular Average Joe or Mary in the street who are not believers. The take on the moral teaching of Jesus, looking at it as morally, the meaning could be as far as what Jesus meant is the east and it will be the west of side of all that. Even chapter 7. If you look at the whole chapter, it sounds almost like one of the bulletin posts at your work and someone has a good, great code or, or proverbs, and they pin it and it looks like a mosaic of random thoughts, random sayings. But actually it's not. If you look at the entire chapter 7, Jesus is driving at Christ's followers' radical difference in relationships. As we relate to our brothers and sisters, as we relate to hardened, hostile scoffers who are rejecting the gospel and scoff at God's wisdom, how do we relate to them? And today, as we relate to our Heavenly Father, especially through prayer, but that Heavenly Father relationship with the Heavenly Father is in context of our previous judge not passage, verse 1 through 6. In the coming weeks, there are a few, uh, we're almost there, isn't it? Relating to everyone in general, also known as the golden rule. And relating to following Christ, entering into the narrow gate, a narrow road relating to false prophets, how to recognize them, what to do with them, and relating to Jesus' teaching, not just heeding what Jesus teaches, but doing what he taught. So let's look at our relationship with the Heavenly Father and looking at the context Jesus' teaching on this prayer on this chapter, is not a random proverb or a basis for name and claim it prosperity prayer. This is taken out of the context. And it's a famous verse for well-meaning people on the spectrum of prosperity gospel. Maybe even close to the people are not so much of extreme. Because this 
verse sounds so encouraging and, and promising. The formula is ABC. Ask, believe, and claim it. And if you put that in the right context, that could be a really good way to pray as well. But if you take your agenda, God becomes a means to an end. For example, my house is a little dinky, small. I don't like it. So I'm going to ask for a bigger house. And I'm going to really believe. Because God, you are rich. And I'm going to claim it. The house around the corner is twice bigger than mine. Claim it. And you want to even go touch it. And some people, you go around seven times. (laughs) No, if you look at the context, that's really not what Jesus is teaching here. How do I know it? The context of this passage reveals two essential truths. One, our desperate spiritual needs. But to simply put, our spiritual poverty. And Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And the previous passage is about not to judge with hypocritical spirit. And that we eventually will stand before God's judgment. Who could handle that? Who could stand? No one can. We fall short of glory of God. No one can escape the wrath and holiness and judgment of God, the Almighty. The judge with the capital J. And that's the grace part. Christ died on the cross for our penalty of sins. That we may have access to God's throne. Without fearing the wrath and the judgment of God. And then verse 6 talks about how do we discern scoffers. To practice spiritual discernment. Let's look at the passage directly. Judge not, chapter 7, verse 1. That you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your your eye when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So once again, much of what Jesus is providing is the answers, the need to the need of our spiritual poor condition that you could ask. 
Okay, let's go one step further, pulling out a little more. The bigger context, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been driving the point of seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All these things are what? The daily needs, human needs, anybody, anybody needs to, food to eat, water to drink, and clothes to wear. And that's a symbolic in a way that every needs and, and our health and our house, safety, all that. We could pray for that. He taught us to pray. But no, remember that the beginning of the, uh, what we know as the Lord's Prayer, he begins with God-centered prayer. God's name to be hallowed, God's kingdom to come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then in our daily needs, as simple and basic as give us this day our daily bread. And also he turns to spiritual needs, forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. What's the point here? There are, maybe I'm going ahead a little bit on this. There are two types of gifts that God gives. God as the creator of the earth, of the universe. That's typically called creation gifts. The creation gifts is not limited to the Christians, to the believers, to the kingdom citizens only. For it's everyone. But when you receive Christ, God's grace, John 1.12, but as many as receive them to them, to those who believe in him, believe in Christ, he gave them the right to become children of God. So this, this children of God is not fellow human beings. The creator has all human beings as a his children. In, in that sense, it's a creation gifts for everyone. But redemption gifts are reserved for those who belong to God and belong to God's kingdom as citizens. In other words, the children of God, believers. Creation gifts, you don't have to pray. You don't have to pray for the sun to rise, you don't have to pray for the rain to come. God provides everything. And as a farmer, a non-believing farmer, don't have to pray. The hard work of the law of harvest gives him the produce. But as a children of God, the redemption gifts Forgiveness of sins, restoration of our heart, and power of the Holy Spirit. All that. We are to ask, pray. The, the wisdom to discern and 
Holy Spirit's forgiveness and power and restoration when we fall and judge others in a hypocritical way. But if you look at the Lord's Prayer once again, there is also creation gifts, right? Then why, why are we praying? To acknowledge God as our Heavenly Father who is the provider, who is the giver of all good gifts to us. The, by, by acknowledging Him, we could pray for the bread every day, uh, for health of our children. Nothing too small. So once again, in one side, this context reveals our deepest, desperate spiritual needs. And on the other side, in today's passage, our Heavenly Father's richness of grace. His desire. What's His desire? To give us good gifts through prayer. This is the whole text today. Verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and it will, you will find Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil... In the parenthesis, if I describe it, for everyone, not just the human standards of evil people, law-abiding, Orange County nice people, every single one of them is innately selfish, innately self-centered, fallen heart. That's what I mean, what he means by that. If he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? So, what does this teaching, Jesus' teaching on this prayer, on this passage, is really about? It's Jesus' intentional encouragement for us to pray. Because any of you who are teachers know that repetition is a key to emphasize in our human brain. First time we are hearing, yeah. Second time hearing, oh, yeah, I think I got that. Third time hearing, we're kind of seeing things. Wow, this is really, really important. Jesus is doing that. But moreover, He's using different words to see the importance of progression in that. We'll get to that later. Secondly, this passage is about Jesus' intentional reminder of our relationship with the Heavenly Father. Because when we say, pray to God, His Father, and for those of us really are blessed with such a godly dad growing up, the image comes to our mind is very generous, loving, caring, patient father. But many of us didn't have that experience. 
as extreme as abusive relationship, but it's a resentment of control issue. The father was so controlling, so uh, strict, and maybe even disciplined too much. And Jesus is responding, reminding us, look at your relationship with the Heavenly Father. This is not earthly father. And know about this, about his character. He isn't your earthly father. He is not like you. When you are dad, trying to be good, but you make all the mistakes with your children in the same sense. And thirdly, this passage is about Jesus' intentional charge for us, not just pray, but pray persistent prayer. The importance of persistence in prayer is all about our faith. So once again, uh, taking this as a really key text and basis for prosperity prayer, we become the center. Men become the center. And God becomes a means to an end. And then instead of persistent prayer, meaning working on on our heart, fickle heart, distracted heart, so we keep telling our hearts, trust God, trust God. I know God could provide, but you keep praying consistently, persistently, and then you are being ready to receive. Man-centered way is, you know, it's like one of those ideas that when you are single, you, uh, it's really, there's some girls are really hard to get. But go nine times, ten times, twelve times. It's not the pretty boy who gets the pretty girl. It's the courageous man, the man who cannot quit. Persistent man. That becomes the picture. You know how wrong that is. That's the pagan God. Who needs to be pleaded. Who needs to kind of stroke. And bell worship was that. Get his attention. He might be sleeping. So one of the fact that bell worship is. Because he's a fertility God. He brings a lot of crops and a lot of fish. So he, we need to stimulate him. Hence, there was a orgies, sexual orgies, with the prostitutes, their prophets, prostitutes. God is not like that. We don't have to prevail God. The language of prevailing prayer, even Jacob prevailed the angel, He's actually surrendering. Jacob didn't win. Jacob gave up, surrendered. So what does it look like for us to listen today? And I I mean very seriously in this one. And I cannot do it. At least as your pastor, I'm convinced Unless our church is convinced about not only importance, prominence, and, but also preeminence 
of a prayer in our church activity, our church will not have the power to go up against the current. Prayerful church is a powerful church. Playful church is a powerless church. Of course, it involves, you know, some of you moms and nursing moms and toddlers. Your closet becomes a very sacred place. But in our men's group and women's group, we where to continue to pray, home group, in our Saturday mornings, prayer meeting has to be continued to value. That's one of the most important things. So how then should we pray? Jesus is using those three words, ask, seek, knock. And simply put, it's prayer, pray persistently with an increasing urgency. Ask is asking God for our need. Do not be afraid. Do not be shy whenever you feel the need. For example... Our church values a daily quiet time. But it could be very dry, very difficult. I think, I think in the beginning of our crossway, one of the brothers who are very trying to be real, we all mean well, but you guys never have a consistent quiet time. It's, it's just it's like a mirage. And then some brothers... No, we're training. We're trying to be consistent in every day. And they're using the words like a boot camp in the two, first two weeks, calling each other. I have fond, fond memories of calling Ho and Song, and we had just brief uh, conversations about our passage and ap- application. Very beautiful. Very, I mean, as a pastor, I felt really encouraged. And who would forget when Henry came, and Henry's just energetic, but he's everywhere. So he would call me in the middle of a car drive. So I said, I want you to park somewhere so we could talk. So those things are important. I mean, we value that. The point that I'm coming back to it is, there is a need. God... Would you open the eyes of my heart that I may see wondrous things in your word? Would you unite my heart so that I'll fight distractions? Would you satisfy my soul this morning with your word? God, I I want to forgive this person. It's just really hard for me. I want to, I, want, I don't want to be hypocritical because you forgive me, but I don't have a power. Ask. Yes, you may ask for bread too, things too, but do not go to the materialistic. Do not worry about them, Jesus said. Fix, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek is acting by faith while 
or asking. The knock is one step further, persistent. Why? We knock until it's open. Do, you, do your kids do that too? When our kids come back from somewhere and doors knocked, they just don't wait. Several times and knocking. Hello, I'm here. Why? It wants, they want to get in, right? That persistence. And that persistence has also connotation of confidence. My father hears me. He cares for me. I have nothing to be worried about. It's not somebody's door to sell something. One of the commentators, Richard Glover, a simple saying, which helped me to picture these three things clearly. A child, if his mother is near and visible, asks. If she's neither, he seeks. While if she is inaccessible in her room, he knocks. That's the picture of prayer. Jesus' encouragement for us to pray. Why is persistence so important in our prayer? It helps us prevail in prayer by keep, keeping on looking and surrendering to God. Prevailing Prayer is actually more prevailing on our spiritual battle within us. Our fickle heart, our wicked heart, our selfish, self-sufficient heart. We prevail over that to surrender, to be ready. And God's anxiously waiting to give us good gifts. So it reminds, of us, it reminds of us our need and our helplessness. It points us to hope in God. It disciplines us to depend earnestly in God's provision. That's why we are to persistently pray. And if you're like me, you feel something, or even something that you know there is a need. Let's say, you know, I'm praying for my in-law's salvation and reading some passages about the day of the Lord and the absolute uh, grace of God who is that is available to anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And aching heart of my wife, Kate. So I will fervently pray one day. But the passage, a quiet time passage passes by. I'm no longer on that intensity anymore. You all experienced that, haven't you? 
even praying for my brother who still has a speech impediment. So, you know, pastor who cannot speak and pastor who cannot use a right-handed anything. My heart aches. But my intensity for praying for my brother, Pastor Tim, dwindles down unless I become persistent in it. Charles Spurgeon, in his commentary, he writes, Faith asks, hope seeks, and love knocks. That's our relationship with the Heavenly Father. Going further, there is a promise. Not only one promise, but one promise in three different directions. A triple promise. That Jesus is promising that our prayers will be answered. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and the door will be open to you. But lest we think of our, our materialistic needs and God as the means of our end, let's remind ourselves that promise is primarily for God's redemption gifts for his children, as opposed to creation gift, gifts for all people. In earlier in Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 45, he talks about our need to love our not only neighbor, but neighbor who is our enemy. Love your neighbor. I love your enemies. And then he mentions Father's uh, picture in verse 45, so that you may be sons of your father. That sons of your father is mimicking Look alike, father like, like father like son, kind of thing. Who is in heaven. Become like father's character. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. In our daily language, believers or not, he gives a creation gifts. But when it comes to our redemption gifts, the eternal needs that we have is our spiritual needs. And of course, nothing is too small for Heavenly Father because we are calling Him our Abba as a beloved children. We could ask for small things, anything. But the important thing is, who's in the locus of control? Is it God who is in the center? Or is it me who is employing God to be effective in what I want? So he gives us a triple promise. And then he assures us with the repetition again. Intentional repetition of three gifts. If you look at Matthew 7, verse 9 through 11. I'm sorry, verse 8. 
he repeats again, doesn't he? For everyone who asks, receives. Same thing, in a little bit different way. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. So, a triple promise and he repeats the whole thing. And altogether it's a six-fold promise. And then once again, we are beginning to think that maybe this is kind of blank check that God is giving us. It's a so-called prosperity gospel teachers call it a word of faith. In other words, speak word of your faith. In other words, claim what you really want and try to really, really believe it. And God is required to give it to you. Oh, I pray for healing. My uncle died because you didn't have enough faith. If you had really enough faith, everyone will be healed. But the funny, funny oxymoron thing is some of those faith healers and uh, teachers who teach that have died of cancer. So, I'm, I'm actually pointing very important thing for us. is that As much as this sounds so simple, all we have to do is ask, all we have to do is seek and knock. There is a presupposition. This whole passage is not actually unconditional. This is conditional in a way that requires presupposition that points the right condition. James chapter 4. Some of you already know this passage by even memory, what that passage is all, all about. And we have gone through that quiet time as well. Listen to this. James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. What does that point to? There is a presupposition. And John Stott uses three words, and I'm adapting from that. There are three presuppositions for prevailing prayer. Number one, he calls it knowledge. I'm going to call it just simply God's will. We must pray according to God's will. Not what I want, but what God desires. And what God desires is actually the best for our own lives as well. In 1 John 5, 14 and 15, reiterates this point this way. Apostle John's words, and this is the confidence we have toward him, toward God. That if we ask 
anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. So as long as we have confidence and knowledge about what I'm asking is according to God's will, we have confidence that every of our requests will be given, answered. Question, Paul. Sometimes it's kind of ambiguous. I don't know it's a God's will. Well, love your wife and you know, love your husband. Well, that's God's will. I, I need to obey that and you know, help us to have a good marriage. But who wins on the argument? How do I know this is God's will or not? How do we know that we need to buy this house or not? Buy this car or not? Well, actually, James chapter 1, we went through that. If anyone lacks wisdom, ask God. Who is rich in his wisdom? Who is liberal? Who is just abundant to give us wisdom? Pray for wisdom. That's God's will. So in other words, when things are not clear, whether it's God's will or not, we could continually persistently pray, and God will guide us through his wisdom. Number two, presupposition for right uh, prevailing prayer is faith. We must pray to our Heavenly Father with faith. And Jesus' point on this one is very, very important. And he says in verse 9, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for a bread, will give him a stone? A no one. Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts, to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? This is, once again, Jesus is using that ah for theory argument. How much more? Comparing the weaker to the greater. Even if you're selfish, you know how to get gifts. And think about ultimately good God who doesn't have flaws, and who is not struggling with power, powerlessness, he will give it to you. And then someone, some of us ask questions like, uh, you know, um, once again, I pray for healing for my friend. I care for him. He's a young mom. How come God didn't hear my answer, my prayer? The answer? Very simple. I don't know. God is sovereign. God do not answer to us. He's a creator. We answer to him. And on that day, when we see Jesus face to face, it's not like a like a vague image that we see the, mo- the ancient mirror, a reflection of uh, steel, some kind of metal. 
but we will know things clearly. Another question is, what if God gives us everything we ask? And I say, I really do mean it. I'm not trying to be funny. You should be worried about it. Have you, have you seen the news that one of the kids, the toddlers, shoot himself because of accident and the gun was available? What about when you're little, you know, you play with the natchez and I got burnt? I have experienced that. I'm not the only one, right? <laughs> so let's say we, we in, our, in our limited wisdom, I think we, this is really good for us, good for me. And I ask for serpent. God doesn't give to us because he knows that it's, it's not good for us. What if I, we ask for stone? God will not give it to us. God only gives good gifts. And I looked it up. In Greek, original text, agathos is the word, Greek word. Infinitely good wisdom. One of those are good. Another word is the, there's good and better and best. Conditional ones, it's a beauty, brings a beauty. But agathos is one that benefits, produces many benefits. Or in other words, consistently, innately good. It cannot get better. It cannot get to the best. Or it cannot get worse. God's good gift is good for eternity. Do we believe that? The idea of asking God and pleading and prevailing, we think we are wiser. I like my options. I like my solutions better, God. Provide this. We just need a little more money here. Come on, work with us. Our son needs a little help. He's a social ability, you know, I have a kid who has a high-functioning autism. You don't know how many times I demanded God to fix him just like that. God's infinite wisdom, in a mysterious way, I don't know the full picture. All I know is Kate and I are molded even more and convinced more of our need for grace of God, our need, our son's great need for grace of God. That is ultimately a good gift that God gives us. I don't know why God doesn't answer prayer for my brother, who is, after all, a pastor who preaches the word of God. But I am not God. We need to say, instead of cheap answers, spiritualized answers, I don't know. All I know is God is good, and I'm not God. God is sovereign. I'm not sovereign. Third is desire. Why is this desire important? Because we desire Heavenly Father's good gifts when praying, we'll go back to that. But if we desire what we want, we'll stop praying. 
In Psalm 37 verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Once again, man-centered way of looking at it is a make sure you do things that please God. Then God will give you your new house and new, new job and new car, anything you want. No, actually, if you look at in infinite wisdom, what really we desire is God. Most treasured joy is God, not should be God. We, in heaven, we will find out there will be a no one moment of boredom because God is that good. To delight yourself in the Lord in God-centered way. But God will give all the good gifts into your heart and then your heart will be filled with joy. We ask not because God doesn't know our needs, we don't inform Him, but because our prayer, prayer conditions our heart with readiness to receive God's good gifts. And we also ask persistent prayer fosters a deeper Trust in our relationship with God. My time is running out, so let's do a quick three application. Number one, we are to cultivate a deeper trust with our Heavenly Father through prayer. Isaiah 49, verse 15, for those of you who had a rough childhood and who, who has actually wanted to Make a sharp turn, but being a father and being a mother, you realize those deep-seated darkness and brokenness has passed on to you. You're actually doing the same thing in some sense. Do not project that to God. Isaiah 49 verse 15 is a picture that God gives us. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb rhetorical question but if I may answer no 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 thousand times no no mom in her right mind will be able to forget and have no compassion as she nurses that little, little baby and he goes, hypothetically, if there is a case that she forgets, even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. This is a verse that you could write it down and drive it around. And say, I will not forget you. Lord, you do not forgive me. Even this morning, and I'm driving this, this, this day, I feel lousy and I don't feel good physically, but you do not forget me. You remember me. You have a compassion toward me. Let's look to Scripture and the Holy Spirit to correct our views of prayer. Let's look to people of prayer for encouragement who actually lives it out. Let's look to God's gifts through prayer, experiencing that for cult cultivating a deeper trust. Number two, we are to act on our faith in God by praying persist persistently 
to our Heavenly Father. What we need is really, instead of thinking about, I know it, that's the dangerous illusion we have. We need to act on, I believe God provides things. Then I'm going to pray. Act on prayer. And the scripture guides us this way. Oh, that's why the quiet time is basically we listen to God and God's guidance first and we respond to God through prayer. Prayer, divorced from the scripture reading, reflection, becomes man-centered. Obviously, we, we, we are confused of what we, what's best for us. But scripture tells us, continually guides us. And the Holy Spirit uses that prompting from the scripture. Let's also act on uh, practicing what we know as a God, as a merciful God, and ask for mercy. God who forgives, ask for forgiveness. God who enables us to win the spiritual battle. And let's act on praying persistently with other believers. Third and last, we are to make prayer our top planned priority in our everyday life in order to experience God's gifts. Colossians 4.2, ESV says, Continually, continue steadfastly in prayer. NIV, devote yourself to prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So sometimes, one of the key reasons that we don't experience prayerful life, a prayerful church experience, because we don't plan it. And I'm convinced of that. When we have a desire, we need to make a decision. When we make a decision, we need to put it in the calendar. So our church has this idea of, um, we call it top ten list. The top most wanted items that we want to train ourselves with. For example, for a long time, I wanted to have a quiet time, consistent quiet time. I, I, my heart was sincere. I want it. But too many things distract me. Too many things come first, right? So I need to designate the time, and I'm protected. But same thing in our daily lives also, too. I, I usually do a swim mile a day. And without swimming, I feel just so lousy. So five, six a days, it became a habit. But initially, it was a discipline and decision. And uh, what I wanted to do is actually, oh, good heart, go to office and do all the work and ministry counseling. And then at the end of the day, I'm going to go swim. Yeah, right. Four, five, six, so many things happen. So I become inconsistent. I become a victim I want to be healthy, but uh, all these things, so you, know, you know what I do. Without any apology, the first thing I do is morning swim. At least after the morning swim, I feel like a young man. <laughs> uh, 
I want to conclude with uh, John Piper's quote. This is from his book, Desiring God. I wish I could kind of share more, but this is an excerpt that I have, which has really ignited my passion for prayer as well. Piper writes, Unless I'm badly mistaken, one of the main reasons so many of God's children don't have a significant life of prayer is not so much that we don't want to, but that we don't plan to. If you want to take a four-week vacation, you don't just get up one summer morning and say, hey, let's go today. You won't have anything ready. You won't know where to go. Nothing has been planned. But that is how many of us treat prayer. We get up day after day and realize that significant times of prayer should be a part of our lives. But nothing is ever ready. We don't know where to go. Nothing has been planned. No time, no place, no procedure. The natural unplanned flow of spiritual life sinks to the lowest ebb of vitality. There is a race to be run and fight to be fought. If you want renewal in your life of prayer, you must plan to see it. And therefore, my simple exhortation is this. Let us take time this very day to rethink our priorities and how prayer fits in. Make some new resolve. Try some new venture with God. Set a time, set a place, choose a portion of scripture to guide you. Don't be tyrannized by the press of busy days. We all need mid-course corrections. Make this a day of a turning to prayer for the glory of God and for the fullness of your joy. And all God's people say, Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Abba, our dearest Heavenly Father, we hear you. You're called to pray, to see the resource and the richness in God available for all His children. And yet we, in our poor state of our spiritual life, in our family life, in our marital life, forgive us, not pray, for, for not praying persistently. And as we are prompted by the Holy Spirit, oh Father, would you Remind us, prompt us again in this week to plan our calendar, to recommit our our time for time alone with God through prayer and, and scripture, to recommit our church's vision for the prayerful and prayer-centered church, and for our home groups and men's group and women's group, which reignite the passion for prayer make us
praying people. I thank you, Lord. I bless you, Lord. Pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.